0: welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast where we talk about how medieval and medieval-inspired movies, TV, and books depict the medieval world. What did they get right? What did they get wrong? And what do they tell us about how modern people see the medieval past? I'm Sarah Decker, a medieval historian, and today I'm joined once again by Elizabeth Bonneman to talk about the first two seasons of Netflix animated series Castlevania. So Elizabeth, welcome back. Thank
1: you. It's it's good to be here.
0: The listeners who have been with this podcast for a while presumably know who you are, but anyone who's new might not. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and about why you wanted to talk about this particular show?
1: Uh, yeah, I am best known on the internet as Media Evil's Doctor Who correspondent, but sometimes I watch other things. <laughs> growing up I played a lot of video games and like I was really interested in like the whole everything around that and so when Netflix came out with a a Castlevania animated series I was like okay because animated adaptations of video games are usually not good unless it's (laughs) Sonic the Hedgehog in which case the Sonic the Hedgehog animated series are are, um, consistently better than those games but, yeah, <laughs> And that's all the pot stirring I'm going to do tonight. <laughs> Lies. But when I found out Netflix was making a Castlevania series, I was like, interesting. How are they going to do that? And so when it first came out, I watched the first season, and it was really good. And then I'd lost access to Netflix for several years, but then now my roommate has Netflix, and, and I was like, this would make a good Halloween episode.
0: It would. Happy Halloween everybody. This is coming out around Halloween. I forget how dates work. I think it's coming out it's... 2 days before Halloween.
1: Yes. It is the it is the spooky times. Yes. What is a man? A miserable pile of secrets. <laughs> That's a Castlevania quote. Um,
0: somebody actual, somebody else actually, when I mentioned I was recording this episode, it gave me precisely that quote.
1: It's, it's probably the most famous quote in the games. It's, it's from like the very beginning of Symphony of the Night. Like Richter Belmont goes to confront Dracula and Dracula says, what is a man? A miserable pile of secrets. <laughs> it's excellent. But I digress. I will continue to digress, but I should not digress too far.
0: Keep our digressions to occasional moments, many occasional Mm -hmm. moments here and there, right?
1: Yes.
0: So, yeah, so today we are talking about the first two seasons of Castlevania. Just so everybody is aware, this is because I have not watched the the remaining two seasons because I am extremely busy. Mm -hmm. So maybe future episode in seasons three and four. These two seasons came out 2017 and 2018. As Elizabeth was saying, they are based on the Castlevania video game series. And these two seasons in particular, from what I understand, are adapt uh, adapted from the 1989 Castlevania 3 Dracula's Curse.
1: Yes, I understand why they did tri- Castlevania 3, because the first two, ca- well, the first Castlevania game is a very straightforward platformer. You play as a guy named Simon Belmont and you've got a and you've got a magic whip and you have to fight your way through a castle full of monsters and get to Dracula and kill him. And mm. it's very very straightforward but there's not a lot of character because it's just Wait. Simon and the monsters. And Castlevania 2 Simon's Curse is you know much the same except instead of the cast like just a castle you're also wandering the forests and stuff also fighting mm-hmm. monsters castlevania 3 is the first one to have multiple protagonist characters so you've got uh-huh. uh, so you got simon's ancestor trevor belmont simon simon is active uh in i believe the 1690s 1691 is the first game and 1698 is the second whereas castlevania 3 takes place in 1476 and so Trevor Belmont is joined by a, in the game, she's a witch, just a straight up witch uh, named Sipha Belmatis, Dracula's half-human son Alucard, and a pirate named Grant Danasty, who did not make it, <laughs> did not into, make it into the show. The show. <laughs> <laughs> but But now you have, like, the Belmont, and he's got friends, and you can, like, start to make a show out of that.
0: Right, right. There are multiple characters. So you, uh, you've you got something to go with. And so those are indeed our main characters. Uh, so we have Richard Armitage starring as Trevor Belmont, uh, best known to me as Thorin from the Terrible Hobbit trilogy, and as Francis Dellerhide from the significantly better Hannibal TV show. So I've had lots of good times and bad with Richard Armitage. <laughs> We also have James Kellis as Alucard. Uh, I also need to acknowledge the fact it took me way too long to realize that Alucard was Dracula backwards. Again, it's been a rough week.
1: Yeah. Alucard is uh, not his given name. His given name, is no. Ad- his given name is Adrian, but he has named himself Alucard to sort of symbolize to everybody that he stands in opposition to his father.
0: Yeah. He's reverse Dracula, literally. Uh-huh. <laughs> there's, there's,
1: there's a there's a running gag in the later seasons, which I have I have seen most of because I thought we were going to cover the whole show, but then Sarah's like, I am super busy, so we aren't. Um, yeah. But but there's a running gag that like like people will people start to come to Alucard and like they're like, you are the Alucard, and he's like, the what? <laughs> <laughs> When did I become the Alucard?
0: <laughs> you know, the. Uh, <laughs> I am, I will say, I'm uh, looking forward to watching the other two seasons. But yeah, no, this this it wasn't happening. Um, <laughs> we also have Graham McTavish as Vlad Dracula Tepesh. He also appears in the Terrible Hobbit trilogy as Dwayne and is the voice of Dante in the film based on the Dante's Inferno video game and i have not seen this movie i have seen the trailer for it it looks like a disaster and i can't wait to cover it one day i
1: didn't i think i i think i vaguely remember hearing that there was a Dante's Inferno video game i did not know there was a movie <laughs> That sounds awful. I
0: have many thoughts from the trailer alone about how I think it does violence to the text.
1: <laughs> All right.
0: So anyway, we also have Alejandra Reynoso as uh, Saifa Belnares. We have Theo James as Hector. Adeto Combo at McCormack as Isaac.
1: Hector and Isaac come from another game in the series called Curse of oh. Darkness. Which in the timeline is set, like, shortly after Dracula 3. Like, Trevor and Sypha and Alucard and Grant have defeated Dracula. And, like, these are now two of Dracula's top henchmen. And in the game, Hector, like, settles down and, like, falls in love. Has, a, has like, a nice... He, he turns good. And Isaac doesn't. And Isaac kind of goes nuts killing everybody and so hector mm. has to stop him and so you play as hector in that game oh. but you're both raising armies of demons to fight each other which is an interesting hmm. uh new game mechanic but right yeah i will say that hector and isaac i think both get more rounded and interesting story arcs in this show particularly in the mm-hmm. later seasons
0: I found them to be really interesting characters. Uh, Hector is also clearly my people in that he, in addition to resurrecting an undead army, also occasionally resurrects very charming undead dogs. Yes. And they make excellent pets. So I am absolutely team Hector. hmm In particular, because the things it seems to be the case with the undead dogs is that they all have one bright blue eye, which I really enjoy because my dog, who is not undead, also has one blue eye and one brown Aww. eye.
1: That's adorable.
0: Oh, it's like you, Opie. Yeah.
1: Opie's like, I'm not losing chunks of flesh.
0: Uh (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's the benefit of having a uh, regular dog as opposed to an undead (laughs) dog is that they do not have uh, chunks of flesh that they might be losing at any given time. That's, Uh That's a plus. We also have Jamie Murray as Carmilla, and I thought Carmilla was a very fun character for overall, and was delighted to realize when looking up things, because of course it's voice acting, and I don't necessarily always recognize people by voice who I know from live action things, so I was delighted to see that. uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the TV series Warehouse 13, but it's essentially the way it works is that it's like it's kind of like it's the warehouse at the end of the you know with the indiana jones movies right where you've like got all these yeah and it's like follows the people who are looking for these artifacts to put them into the warehouse okay
1: i think i wrote a i wrote a story like that back when i was in high school
0: it's a fun show and jamie murray plays helena g wells who is uh hg wells but hg wells was actually a lady
1: Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm down for that. Yeah.
0: And then finally, we have Peter Stormare, who's, you know, in everything and usually playing mm-hmm. a vaguely menacing role in this playing the vaguely menacing role of Godbrand, the yeah. rather dumb Viking vampire.
1: Yep. Peter Stormare particularly has has a tendency to be cast as like, you know, your your vague like Cold War Eastern European thug types. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's actually Swedish, which is which right. makes which makes his typecasting as Eastern Europeans interesting. Although in this, he actually gets to play someone from Sweden.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Cause, yeah, at least some a vaguely Scandinavian person, right? So closer than he usually gets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With that, I think we can get into the enumeratio or recap, where we go through the plot of uh, these first couple of seasons. I will just kind of give a very sort of brief outline at the beginning, just because you know it's a total of twelve episodes. There's a lot of kind of getting into the weeds. So essentially, what the the story that is followed in the, these two seasons, which together form, I would say, a fairly coherent arc, uh, which mm-hmm. actually I think made them a good choice to kind of focus on just these two seasons. That we've got a very kind of clear story arc, and what this story arc is essentially is that Dracula you know, was not necessarily always a nice guy, but I guess was sort of turning over a new leaf because he got together with this nice lady, Lisa, who wanted to learn how to be a doctor and a scientist. She gets murdered by the church. She gets burned as a witch. And then he goes absolutely fucking apeshit and decides that he is going to exterminate humanity And the series then follows uh, Trevor Belmont, who is the last scion of this, I guess, family of vampire hunters that has been mostly wiped out at this stage. Saifa Belnares, who is a magic user and who belongs to this group called the Speakers, which we'll talk about more in a bit. And then eventually Dracula's son, Alucard. So that is, you know, his and Lisa's son, and the three of them band together to get t- to stop Dracula. So he does not, in fact, commit genocide against all of humanity.
1: Yes. Uh, the, the first season, which is only four episodes, is really kind of a, like, getting the band together. As yeah. as Trevor meets Sypha and then they find Alucard. And then season two uh, actually largely focuses on Dracula and his court machinations with our three heroes almost being a B-plot until they, come, until they finally come in and confront Dracula.
0: One of the things that I found really interesting overall about this show is that, obviously, because committing genocide against all of humanity is bad, mm-hmm. we would like Dracula <laughs> to be defeated and stopped, but I think the show does an excellent job of still making him a fairly nuanced and in some ways sympathetic character
1: yeah yeah i mean he's he's very For much a somebody tra- trying he, to
0: commit genocide
1: he, he is he is uh he's a pretty tragic character he's also i would say the fact that they center him in season two is 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 an interesting choice because like if there's a single central character to the franchise it's dracula
0: yeah because yeah.
1: in japan the series is known as i might mess up this pronunciation but Akumajo Dracula, which is uh-huh. which uh, translates as like roughly uh, evil castle of Dracula. So, Makes sense. Yeah, Castlevania is the name of Dracula's castle, which is a very important place and plot point.
0: Yeah, and because the castle is very cool. Because the deal with the castle is that it moves. Uh, that it has this room within it with this weird. Uh,
1: magic engine thing yeah it
0: kind of looks like a you know rubik's cube with more sides it kind of looks like a dnd die actually
1: kind of yeah yeah it it, it it looks like a d20 it's an icosahedron yeah. but yeah. it's but it like teleports the castle from place to place and that makes hunting dracula down very difficult
0: <laughs> yes and the the design is very cool it's a kind of uh, I guess I would describe it as like late Gothic beats Escher.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Quite a bit of Escher.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it, it, the exterior at least certainly. Yeah, has has very much that vibe. Mm-hmm. So it's cool. The castle is very cool.
1: Yeah. It's like it's like you look at it and it's like this doesn't look the most architecturally sound, but it is magic. So we'll give it.
0: <laughs> yeah. So we actually begin with Lisa, who for the year is 1455, we in Malachia, she shows up on Dracula's doorstep and basically says, you're going to teach me science. I want to be a doctor. In exchange, maybe I'll teach you how to hate humans a little bit less. Or at least stop putting them on sticks, because I will know by very first note in this is that certainly is a lot of skeletons, since she has to walk through a forest essentially of impaled skeletons.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are kind of out there as like a a very grisly keep out sign, which yeah. which Lisa ignores, and she comes right yes, on up to the castle and, and knocks on the door.
0: Yes, she does. So I'm going to go ahead and get out my biggest, actually, in a lot of ways, critique of the series or these two seasons now, because it shows up really early, which is that I personally don't love fridging as a trope. and that's what we get right we get to meet lisa lisa seems cool i'm excited about lisa the next we see if lisa is lisa getting burned at the stake as a witch and then that's what sets the whole plotted motion is that dracula's big mad that his wife's dead and so that's why he's gonna genocide humanity
1: yep yeah it's so it's a choice in the in defense of the makers of the show the the this is the trope that was in the game. So they are right. It's the, it's the source material they're working from.
0: Right. So, but you know, certainly worth mentioning that that is a criticism one might have of the show and source material is that we are really going hard on fridging and, you know, that being the main motivation, right. For this male character. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's real bad. Uh, when they kill his wife, so the scene, right? So we've got our bishop who is, uh, you know, a real asshole, as yeah. the bishops and things that in the Middle Ages tend to be.
1: Oh yeah, the the bishop of greget is, I would I would say like even though Dracula is like the overall big bad, the bishop of Greget is definitely like the season 1 big bad.
0: Yes. Yes. Uh, and actually to to clarify all of the ecclesiastical hierarchy, I guess, that when we first meet him, he is the aide to the archbishop of Targovista and then subsequently becomes the bishop of Graciata.
1: Yeah. The archbishop is is a real fat bastard, but uh we also don't get to see much of him before he gets his throat ripped out by a demon.
0: Yeah, I don't really feel like I have a strong sense of the archbishop's deal. Yeah. We we get part of this in flashbacks, but, you know, he's gone into her home. He's found all of this science stuff. He says, obviously, you are a witch. We'll discuss this more later. Mm -hmm. And uh, she then gets burned at the stake. And Dracula just, like, pops into the fire, uh, which I do have to note that while I get what he's doing, he is not really helping her case that she is not allied with Satan in that his face pops out of the fire and says, fuck you, why did you kill my wife?
1: Kinda, yeah, that is a fair point <laughs> um, like there is there is some i don't I don't know how how uh how much it really plays in, but there is at least some inkling that people believe, at least in the games, um but also in the show that if if God and Satan are like you know counterparts. Then mm-hmm. Dracula is Dracula is basically the antichrist,
0: yeah, in this yeah. whole
1: thing. so like there's there's people that are like practically worshiping him
0: right yeah, makes sense.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: He's real mad, and his plan since he's real mad is as we have indicated before, that he is going to genocide humanity and he warns everybody basically, you've got one year to get the fuck out of all of Colinkia, and at that point, I am going to rain down literal hell upon you. Mm -hmm. As is often the case, nobody decides based on seeing this face emerge from the fire that maybe moving is a good idea, and uh, they do not seem to leave.
1: I think the one old lady who was laying flowers at Lisa's grave gets out but no one else
0: <laughs> and i think dracula actually because he knows at least right that she i don't know that she seems to like genuinely kind of have known lisa and feels bad he actually mm-hmm. kind of tells her personally right like yeah you should leave just by the way uh
1: yeah he's, i he's highly like,
0: recommend it, getting the fuck out
1: I, I believe his exact wording is i do this one last kindness in her name yes speaking of one last kindness as she's being burned up at the stake like lisa yells to the sky like please don't hurt them they they don't know what they're doing <laughs> which yeah. which initially seems like it is directed at dracula but i think it's actually she knows dracula wouldn't listen to that i think it's more directed towards alucard
0: oh that's an interesting argument cuz we do see that alucard does contest Dracula's goal and says it's not what his mother would have wanted and Dracula says fuck you stabs him and drops him into a coffin where he yep. will be for the next year or so presumably
1: yeah yeah Dracula so, is big bad, <laughs> and he is. yeah I don't he's not a plus parenting there
0: <laughs> no no there are things to be said about Dracula as a dad uh <laughs> Yeah, that's not a great, a great parenting moment. I wouldn't recommend that. It's
1: like, yet yeah, I am Alucard. No, the, my father was probably the Antichrist. Um, I'm trying not to let that get to me.
0: <laughs> One year passes. Dracula shows up in Targovista and says, I fucking told you so. To paraphrase. Yeah. They're and... holding,
1: they're holding a festival of it's like, it, yes. it's like, it's been one year since we burned the witch and look, nothing's happened. And Dracula's like, like, you dumb fucks.
0: (laughs) Which is a real move. If I were the Archbishop of Targovishta, I feel like I at least would have scheduled the festival for like one day after the anniversary of This Woman.
1: Yeah, that would be like, I don't know, the better move. Like,
0: oh well. Yeah, because you know- during the festival obviously he shows up bye bye bishop bye bye lovely gothic church
1: uh-huh. goodbye
0: so yeah uh, dracula's also like
1: i think i think one of the other reasons that dracula like gave them a full year is cuz he was like cuz he like goes back to his castle and he's like i need a full year to amass my force of demons
0: yes i need to raise all of these demons the other thing i will note is that at this stage i did write in my notes what is your plan here in that, if you are wiping out all of humanity, who are you? A person who survives on consuming human blood, planning on snacking on. And I will say, this was a critique that I had early in the show, which is, in fact, I think, answered in the second season.
1: Yeah, it's it's addressed repeatedly. <laughs> yes,
0: yes. So we do get the chance to get into that. So we then meet Trevor Belmont, who... The Belmont family, as we kind of referenced before, they've been accused uh, by the church of uh, being, you know, in league with all of these devils and demons, when in reality, what they're doing is fighting all of these devils and demons. And so basically, the estate has been effectively destroyed, the family has been wiped out, with the exception of this one dude. Uh, And this all took place before these events, because I think he says later that he was something like 12 or 13, Yep, when yep, his yep. hope was destroyed and his family murdered.
1: Yep, the Belmonts are the protagonists of the of the f- franchise as a whole. Mm-hmm. There's like the games cover like in terms of timeline almost a thousand years of of like generations of this family. So okay, so like there's distant ancestor Leon Belmont back in the 11th century.
0: Uh-huh. Then
1: there's then there's Trevor here in the 15th. He's followed by Christopher in the 16th, Simon in the 17th. Then eventually Richter around the French Revolution-esque period. I think think it's actually set in France for some reason. I don't know. I don't know that game super well. And then eventually uh, the present day Belmont is Julius Belmont, who inherits the whip in 1999 and and, Mm. uh, is still carrying it in the last game in the timeline, which is set in 2036.
0: Ah, oh, oh, interesting. So we are in the future.
1: We're in the future.
0: Hmm. Now we are still in the 15th century with our buddy Trevor, who Mm -hmm. is very drunk. He shows up at this bar. They realize he's a Belmont because he, out of either... So, I don't know some combination of pride, stupidity, and not being able to afford other clothing. I guess it's still mm-hmm. like wearing a like top with the family crest on it. Yep. Which seems like asking for trouble.
1: Kinda, yeah. He's like, I just found this shirt.
0: It's like, sir, sir, get a different shirt. <laughs> maybe, maybe just get a different shirt. But he doesn't get a different. You know I will. I will just note that this you know, he can wear whatever shirt he wants, obviously, but that he claims he's not looking for trouble. If he actually wasn't looking for trouble, I feel like he could be slightly more subtle about the fact that he's a Belmont.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: By he's... not wearing a shirt that does the 15th century equivalent of saying, hi, my name is Trevor Belmont.
1: And like, also, I want to call attention to the peasants in this tavern. Like... <laughs> Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. They're having this discussion. like they're having an argument about like whether or not they are brothers or cousins. It's like we may share the same father, but you came out of my aunt.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's also a lengthy conversation about bestiality in that yeah. uh, one of them is discussing the fact that he, recently hit someone over the head with a shovel for saying that he was in love with his goat and having a lot of sex with his goat
1: Mm -hmm. so yeah
0: it's anyway
1: Uh it's a whole scene they're a fun
0: group (laughs) I didn't I didn't end up including it because I had a lot of things but I read a really interesting article a while or uh, there's a there's yeah it was a book chapter I think a while back about bestiality and people talking about it in the context of love in the I think I want to say maybe 16th or 17th century Sweden actually okay it was either Sweden or Norway anyway uh, things that I remember from my days in undergrad Uh, I had a fun time Mm -hmm. so anyway they realize he's a Belmont we've got a big fight he eventually manages to win and uh, knock out all of these uh, also drunk peasants and yep. starts to make his way to Grey Shit. Things are going great in Shit. Uh My note at this stage is that is certainly a lot of corpses.
1: Yeah, yeah. They, they're being raided by, I mean, they're, they don't shy away from calling them demons, but more commonly they call them night creatures. yeah. And so like the night creatures are coming every night and killing more people.
0: Yeah. And I will say we we see a lot of these night creatures over the course of these series. The designs are very cool. There Mm -hmm. are a lot of differences between them. And so, you know, you get a lot of avenues toward creativity for creativity. A lot of them are sort of hybrids between kind of humanoid and various animals. They're fun. Yeah.
1: I yeah. think most of them are based on, like, enemies that you fight through in the games. Hmm. So. Yeah.
0: And they kind of looked like the things, actually, that you might see something similar. I didn't look up any specific analogies, but they actually seemed comparable to kinds of things you might see in late medieval paintings, actually, of demons, where they do kind of get, get creative with uh, combinations of human and animal forms. Neat. Yeah, so as I said, I didn't have specific analogies, but it kind of seemed, a lot of them seemed at least kind of in that tradition, broadly Mm -hmm. speaking. Yeah. Yeah. So Trevor is wandering around to trying to figure out what the situation is. And basically, it seems like what the situation is, is that there are a lot of, you know, ordinary people who are mostly, I would say, just kind of terrified and don't know exactly who to rely on, but some of them, it seems, are pro church. You know, as we've already maybe gotten a sense of, uh, the church sucks in yeah. this show in, intensely. We also have this group called the speakers, which seem like they're kind of their own original thing, with sort of hints of Romani, and I would mm-hmm. say, like maybe some hints of Jews.
1: Yeah, yeah, I so, think they're they're. I think they kind of like hit the nail of like general diasporic outsider who get blamed for people's problems.
0: Right, yes. Which, yeah, hits all of those boxes with these various people. We also learn they're they're nomadic, so they're not settled in a particular location, and that they have uh, an exclusively oral tradition, that uh, their culture is entirely passed down orally and isn't, and nothing is written down, but that they have a lot of collected knowledge.
1: Yeah. Although they are still literate because it's like, yeah, we read more books and add it to the pile of yeah tradition,
0: yeah, so they can read. They just uh, make the active choice not to write things down, yeah. Trevor uh, is invited to help out the church, or at least leave, and is told by the now Bishop of Gracia, who is our friend before who was the aide in Targovista. He lets him know that his plan is that he is going to massacre the speakers. And Trevor falls in instead with the speakers, goes and lets them know, and tries to convince them to leave, and they don't actually leave, but eventually do end up hiding.
1: The whole Belmont family was excommunicated, so there's this yes. fun discussion about, like, uh, it's like, I'm not allowed in a church. I've been excommunicated. <laughs> and they're like, and they're like, the bishop's making an exception. Come, come on with us. And, and he's like, okay, but if I step across the threshold and burst into <laughs> yes. flames, that's on you. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> One of the speakers has said, well, we definitely can't leave now because my grandchild has gone down to these catacombs to look for this figure, the sleeping soldier. And so I can't leave until I get grandchild. I believe at this stage they are vaguely ambiguous about the gender because Trevor notes that he is surprised that she turns out to be a woman. hmm. Yep you know, he goes down to the catacombs, says, fine, I'm going to go find her. And when he does so, he ends up having to fight this, uh, Cyclops creature, which is kind of like a combination between a Cyclops and a Gorgon, and that it's uh, yeah. a Cyclops that also turns people to stone.
1: The Stone-Eye Cyclops, a, a classic Castlevania boss. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. You, so you know, you... Fun design. Yep. The, the trick is, if you want to, like, Unstonify what it is, turn to stone, you have to kill it. Which he which he manages to do eventually. And we get to see like some of his like personal expertise. Because growing up a Belmont, he la- he like learned how to fight all of these monsters.
0: Right. Yeah. And so
1: it's and so he's like, okay, I know what this is, I know how to defeat it. I just have to like actually do it. <laughs> so he like vaults off the statue in the middle of the room and Stabs it in the eye with his sword. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. he manages to defeat it, and uh, with this, he is uh, well. Everybody gets unstoned. Most of them seem to be uh, already dead, so it uh, doesn't work out so well for most people. But he does rescue the speaker woman, so and who turns out to uh, be named uh, Saifa Belnades, and she will, mm-hmm. of course, become one of our central characters. Yep. So at this point. Basically, you know, Dracula's army's showing up, uh, right? They've gotten the speakers hidden, and uh, Trevor then manages to expose the clergy and uh, essentially kind of get the people to turn against them, which, you know, is that he's basically like, this guy, he sucks, right? And all of a sudden they're like, yeah, and just all stab him.
1: Yeah. It's just an interesting combination of like this. Don't you all think it's a little weird for priests to be carrying like, knives around that they are yes. threatening people with like
0: yes this is not uh,
1: churchy behavior guys
0: and i will note that is actually that is actually correct I, i'm kind of coming across all the little things that i did not get a chance to incorporate later that i'll add in now is that actually uh technically the people who have taken orders are not supposed to carry the kind of weapons that would allow them to shed blood and so because of that even when we have uh Text that you know, like the Chanson de Roland, talks about like a bishop fighting, but he uses uh like a mace. So essentially, something that's like, well, you club people, and so you're you're not drawing blood in in yeah. air quotes. Uh, Internal bleeding, as opposed- is fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, you know things like that. That uh, once we get to you know torture methods in the conquest in the context of the Inquisition, that they are actually they tend to be methods that do not draw blood. Technically, uh, again, internal bleeding doesn't count. <laughs> and uh, that as well, uh, that the the church actually does not execute people, that you have to hand over people found guilty of heresy and condemned to death. You actually have to hand them over to the the secular arm, is uh, the terminology used to be executed.
1: Which does happen in the first episode, because yeah. the man who is now the Bishop of Greget has this whole conversation with the mayor of Targovishta.
0: Yeah. So I like that they're like, yeah, the the priests shouldn't be carrying knives. That's a good point. Yeah. With that, the allegiances of the people change, and Trevor is able to lead them in defense uh, against the army of hell beasts. They also, at this stage, eventually decide that they are, in fact, going to try again to go down to the catacombs and find this kind of mythical figure of the sleeping soldier, which, Mm -hmm. it turns out is, uh, well, one can refer to him as Vampire Jesus, as well, Trevor on. does.
1: First, Trevor rallies them to fight the night creatures that are attacking because yes. he knows what is happening. And also, Cypher reveals herself to be a speaker magician. She's able to yes. sling fire and ice magic around. And it's very cool. Yes.
0: Yeah. No, she's she's great. She is. They, they, She has some excellent skills.
1: He's able to find like a... Trevor is able to find a legitimate priest to bless a bunch of holy water, which uh, Sypha then freezes into ice walls to corral the demons.
0: Very cool. Other fun note that we do get in these episodes is that... Some of the hell beasts do go and in particular target the bishop of Gratiot, right? So the guy who had, in fact, you know, who was responsible for all of this and that he is the one who kind of targeted Lisa and had her burned. He's kind of like standing there in the cathedral, very confident in his own uh, safety. And all of these, you know, hell beasts walk in and he goes like, you can't enter this. This is a house of God. And he's like, God's not here, dude. And then he and then he's and then they tell him God's love is not unconditional and basically like you ju- you just really fucked up and that your life's work makes God puke.
1: Yes. It's uh, a good move. It's so good. Yeah. This is this is the this is the demon. I, I think I think the subtitles refer refer to him as blue fangs, because he yes. has blue fangs and he's never got a real name. But this is the demon that uh, Trevor and Sypha, like, later defeat with the help of the townspeople. Yes. The townspeople rub their uh, pitchforks and such down in salt and are able to form, like, a phalanx wall against them. It's pretty cool because Trevor gets to, yeah. like, show off his his knowledge of, like, here is how you actually fight these things. Um, yeah,
0: and both knowledge of how to fight these and also, uh, you know, we'll we'll talk later, right, about the different skills that people have. But one of his skills, I would say, also is, um, I guess, kind of organizational, that he's a very effective general, that he kind of has a good sense of how to kind of best use uh, the different, essentially, kind of assets that they have available in kind of working together to fight assorted demons.
1: Yeah. And I think it's the damage from all the magic that's being slung around that causes the center of the square to fall out from under Trevor and Cyf. Oh, and yes. Drops them into this vault full of interesting. Uh, like there's electric lighting, which is yes, interest. Which 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 Trevor is like that shouldn't be there. Something is wrong. Yes,
0: I've yes, read about so. this in the
1: in the family books. <laughs>
0: Yes, and uh, that's something perhaps that's associated with Dracula.
1: Yes, because we saw similar futuristic-esque technologies in Dracula's castle.
0: Yes. And eventually, they fall all the way down into a room where they've got a coffin. Mm -hmm. And a floating blonde guy comes out of the coffin and uh, as Belmont comments, "You're a vampire."
1: Yeah. Sifas, is, is like, oh, it's the sleeping soldier, and Trevor's like, "Nah, honey, that's a vampire."
0: <laughs> and she's trying to get him. She's trying to get Trevor to not fight him. And uh, you know, the two men, the two men are not cooperating with this. And I think at some point in this, you know, uh, Tre- Belmont mockingly describes him as vampire Jesus, which is excellent. Yes. It's
1: like tell it to your floating vampire jesus here <laughs> and and yeah well and i think it's 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 understandable that their immediate instinct is to fight because we've got vampire and vamp and professional vampire hunter fighting is what indeed. they do
0: indeed so they fight but uh, eventually i think it is that alucard actually holds back eventually from killing him and, you know, he says, right, that there's a, you know, that there is supposed to be a hunter and a scholar who are the ones that, you know, will come get him and they'll work together against Dracula.
1: And and Seif is like, yes, I know this legend. And Trevor's like, you didn't tell me.
0: And she's like, man, why do you think he wanted you to stay? And he's like, I hate speakers. <laughs> Alucard agrees that he is going to indeed fight with him against Dracula on the grounds that it's what his mother would have wanted. Mm hmm. Since she was she was not team genocide.
1: Yeah. Also, we skipped over the whip. I want to make yes. note of the whip. He fights with a short sword and a whip. The whip specifically is consecrated for fighting vampires and demons. Yes. So like when he like hits a demon with it, the demon fucking explodes. Yeah. I don't know if they if they say the name in the show but in the games the name of this whip is vampire killer which is yes. a very on the nose name
0: <laughs> indeed indeed but,
1: but it's been it's been one of the like most iconic things of the franchise since the very first game is like the belmont fights with a whip
0: good good weapon that is the end of season one. So, you know, we've gotten our band together. And then season two uh, is where we then get into uh, more of the actual war effort. I think what we actually open with is this flashback onto Lisa. And my I'm mean, like, oh, like, oh, they have color in this part. And I'm like, oh, that's because it was before everything went to hell. Got it. So <laughs> Dracula's traveling. She's chilling and being a doctor. I will also note that she is apparently, in addition to these people having figured out electricity, she also has penicillin, I guess, because she's, like, talking about, like, oh, here's this medicine, it's great, it's, uh, you know, it grows as mold, and I'm like, excuse me?
1: Yeah, which the, which the little old lady that she's treating, uh, uh, compares to the previous wise woman who gave her powders made from foot skin.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and, so, and Lisa's
1: like, how are you still alive?
0: So, you know, we get to see, you know, again, like her home at you know, this point is where we get to see, you know, her home being searched and her being uh, taken off and all of that. And then move into Dracula's War Castle, where he's got a nice international group of vampire buddies.
1: Yep. There's 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 one from Japan. There's a Viking. Carmilla's not there yet, but she's from Austria. Like all over
0: we also got two humans who are actually the ones who Dracula has put in charge. And this is Hector and Isaac, who we talked about before. And they are the ones who are able, right? To they are forge masters, which means that they get to raise dead people, that they get to raise the dead and make them into a fun army.
1: Yeah. They, they get to, they're the ones who make the night creatures. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if it's if it's said in season two or three, but the but the reason that they do do not get turned into vampires is, is because forge master magic is something that you specifically need to be human to do.
0: Oh, okay, that makes sense then. Yeah, and we we also we've got we've got Godbrand the Viking who uh, I can't remember who exactly says this, but uh, somebody tells him that you've never met anything you didn't kill, fuck, or make a boat out of. <laughs>
1: That's that's Hector. Yeah, (laughs) and 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 Godbrand's like bigot. I like boats. I'm a Viking. Yeah, he says I'm a Viking. I like
0: boats. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, fair fair enough, buddy. Fair enough.
1: He's he's like he's like I don't take it like I don't take offense to any of the rest of what you said. That's all accurate. But the but the boats thing.
0: (laughs) Yes. <laughs> uh, and so you know, we also get the sense right that they're trying to figure out exactly. everyone's kind of trying to figure out like what the deal is with this war. There are questions being raised about the lack of organization there yeah. uh, will like slowly start to have questions being raised about the question of what is the plan for for dinner long term?
1: hmm
0: I mean, you know, relatable, I too, I'm always worried about what is the plan for dinner.
1: Yeah people people are questioning Dracula, but they're trying not to like, you know, question him too blatantly because, they're, because they know that Dracula is the most powerful one there and he can and will kick their ass.
0: Yes. We also do get to meet, as I mentioned before, that Hector is a big fan of dogs and will occasionally raise uh, undead pets and little Caesar, the undead pug, is amazing. <laughs> and I love him very much. Yes. We also start to get a sense of the... Tensions, but I guess growing bonding in their own way <laughs> between Saifa, Belmont, and Alucard. We seem to have some difficulties there in terms yeah. of uh, really only Saifa having the slightest thing resembling emotional intelligence, I guess, is how I would describe their dynamics.
1: Kinda, yeah. Well, in Alucard's defense, uh, if you do the math, like, he is a teenager.
0: Right, Yeah.
1: Yeah, because because it's only been 21 years since Dracula met Lisa, much less married her and had a child with her. So Right,
0: yeah. He has, you know, not been around for very long. And, and Trevor also, in his defense, his entire family was murdered when he was 12 years old, which I yeah. can see how that would uh, stunt your growth emotionally, especially given that you presumably have not been, like, going to therapy.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I don't always love the, like... Only the woman understands how emotion, but in this particular case, there are at least like clearly explainable reasons for why that is the case with these two particular men.
1: Yeah. And also like, I think some of the initial tension is like, he's a vampire, he's a vampire yeah. hunter. They don't naturally go together.
0: <laughs> true, true. So they have but their conflicts.
1: This, this very much starts out as an uneasy alliance to take down a mutual enemy. Yes. Which later grows into like a legitimate friendship, but
0: Yeah. It takes I, time.
1: There is one one little bit that I really enjoy where it's where is like Cypher gets them to like, you know, stop threatening each other every every minute and then she walks off and and they turn to each other and they're like, Eat shit and die. Yes, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. and then they just crack up because it's funny.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you know they're they're bonding in their own way.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the War Council, Carmilla shows up. She's she's great. Uh, she's a uh, she's a real a real uh, kind of breath of fresh air in the War Council.
1: I knew right away that you would love Carmilla.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. She is your and, kind yeah.
1: of character.
0: She is exactly my kind of character. You know, she shows up. She immediately is like so why was it that you didn't turn your wife into a vampire? Because it's kind of what we're supposed to do, so what's up with that?
1: And everybody she does not answer. And everybody else is like, oh shit.
0: <laughs> uh-huh.
1: You do not pick that fight with Dracula. It is honestly surprising that Dracula did not kick her ass then and there, but.
0: Right and well, you know, we, I think we kind of get more of a sense, uh, you know, of what of what his deal is with all of this in terms of yeah. like, I mean, you know, the, the short version at this point being, and we'll get into more detail, is basically just that, like, I guess, really, just that Dracula really needs some therapy.
1: Oh, absolutely! And, and genocide Dracula is sort of therapy. what he's doing
0: instead of therapy for his severe depression. Yup. Carmilla also, uh, we do get, you know, so she's talking it. She, she really doesn't respect anybody, which is excellent because she shouldn't because she's awesome and better than all of them. Uh, <laughs> but there's a conversation about how Godbrand wants to sleep with her. And uh, Dracula asks if she's going to. And she responds something along the lines of not unless he was the last vampire man on Earth. That, pl- Or like all of the other vampires would have to be killed. Plus at least all the vampire men would have to be killed. Plus at least half the women, plus a few animals.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: So yeah. We also get in uh that episode some background about Isaac uh that we see that he has a thing where he uh does this kind of self-flagellating thing and also get this extremely disturbing scene where he seems to have been a, you know, enslaved and owned by this person who based on his costume should be a Knight Templar, which is problematic based on, uh, on the date, but that's fine. Yeah. And says, and basically the reason, and so he is being really brutally whipped set, and, uh, it turns out that this is because he's been trying to read and learn the things that to help the man who owns him, who he says he loves. And he then says, "I love you too." And this is how I love you, while again just really brutally whipping him. And Isaac finally uh, can't take it and rips out his and gouges out his eyes to death. Which mm-hmm. you know you can't you can't blame him on that one, but it's yeah. a rough yeah. scene. Yeah. from beginning to end.
1: Yeah, Isaac. I mean, like you can see why he's working to kill all the humans.
0: Yes. Yeah. No. I.
1: Isaac nope, also Don't
0: totally blame him.
1: Isaac also needs therapy. Um,
0: Everybody in this show needs therapy, actually. That's that how I would describe this show, is this show is a massive collection of people who desperately need therapy.
1: I will say that over the course of season three, Isaac sort of gets therapy, which is hmm. interesting that he is the one who does.
0: Hmm. Yeah, no, Because have literally everybody needs it literally except for carmilla carmilla's perfect (laughs) is she (laughs) i mean okay are her goals ultimately admirable no but does she know what she wants is secure in herself really you know as i said i think really carmilla's got her shit together we can debate whether her shit is what we approve of but i think she's (laughs) got it together
1: I. Having seen season three, and I recognize you haven't, um, I would yeah, say okay. that Carmilla needs therapy too.
0: <laughs> okay, fair enough. All right, so everybody needs therapy. Uh, <laughs> Carmilla, for you know reasons that remain at this point a little obscure to us in terms of what her real goal is, but she's basically trying to get them to ditch their initial plan, which is to have an attack on a place called Argesh, and instead uh, move the siege to. Brela with the ostensible justification that Brela is the port, and so this means that, that you can cut off people's avenue of escape.
1: Yeah, and and she's not wrong. I, I looked up the geography, and Brela is the largest slash primary port in Wallachia at this point. It is on the Danube River. It's not on the Black Sea, but it is like as close as you have a port to the Black Sea it's so it's on, right it's it's in the far east on the danube and so if you want to stop people from escaping by boat yes you want brela
0: absolutely so and and this will actually even come up later in the episode where we talk about some of the kind of real life context of uh, the life of vlad cepes Dracula the mm-hmm. real person brela as a port city uh, is relevant in some of the events of his real life as well actually Makes sense in that context, right, that she wants to go to Brela. so they're all, you know, disputing exactly what they should be doing at this point. Uh, Carmilla also makes the very good military suggestion once Isaac mentions that, you know, he's heard from, you know, a, like, night creature who was killed and then was resurrected, and then that he is now re-resurrected, that... They kind of has he has reason to think, right, that Alucard and Belmont are working together, and Carmilla makes the very good point that maybe we should, like, send somebody to check out and guard the Belmont estate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Meanwhile, indeed, they go to the Belmont estate, which makes sense and uh, was, a, was a pretty good, and is a pretty good move. It takes them a bit to get in, but they do eventually manage to do so. And... Uh, They find a pretty awesome library. It is a library library. as well. I will note, And first of all, I will be talking more about libraries later. Uh, But it is a library that I will note is also described at some point by Alucard when Sypha is basically like, aren't you impressed? And he's like, kind of no, because this is also a museum to the genocide of my people. Yeah. And again, he makes a good point, and you know, and after you know, and at that right, we get a good shot of uh, you know, some what are clearly vampire skulls based on the teeth situation, which I was initially like, how do you get vampire skulls? But I guess we do in this show. Vampires do not disintegrate when killed in the way they sometimes do in other pieces of media. Like they don't necessarily, at least. Yeah, I mean, I mean.
1: Depending on how you kill them. I mean, if you if you burn them to just to make sh- absolutely sure, then yes, they will be ash, but...
0: It seems like if you cut off their heads, they do not necessarily disintegrate, and you could then take the removed heads and, you know, clean them up a bit and end up with some uh, vampire skulls. Yep. So, you know... Plausible in context. Yeah. But yeah, so excellent library. He also finds a special a a special fancy whip that is called the Morning Star, which he is very excited about.
1: It's where where the old whip is is leather, like like a whip.
0: Yeah. Uh, This one
1: this one is like a really long chain with it almost looks like one of those things that they like fill with incense and wave around in church processions at the uh-huh. end
0: yeah the, yeah the uh the censor
1: yes for incest, that's, yeah that is the word yeah. that i was looking for
0: yeah they're having a good time in the library slash vampire killing museum uh-huh. and Uh, meanwhile, the War Council continues and Carmilla is basically trying at this point, not that subtly, increasingly, to sway some allies to her cause and basically indicates like, yeah, so I had this guy who turned me and she basically says like, you know, he was he sucked. I killed him. I'm never going to be dictated to by mad cruel old men indicating that Dracula seems like he is falling under the category of mad cruel old men and that she is not fucking here for it.
1: Mhm. Yep. <laughs>
0: This is, you know, this is one of my team Carmilla moments uh, as I, as I, she's, you know, she's got some not great moments later. I will acknowledge, but you, oh, know, yes. you you've got to, at this point, you got to kind of love her. Uh, yeah,
1: that's, yeah. So she's, she's trying to sway, uh, particularly Hector and Godbrand to her side. Yes.
0: Godbrand also is the one who's like, what do we eat if we exterminate all the humans? And Dracula's like, it's taken care of. And he's like, is it though? Because remember we live forever? Mm -hmm. Which is a good point Yeah So, you know, whereas we've got Some discussion of this uh, Coming up, that does get uh, I think kind of addressed in some Really interesting ways in this context
1: Dracula's like, you can live on Pig's blood for a little while longer I'm tired of fucking Pig's blood
0: I believe he also says it gives him the shits
1: (laughs) It gives me the shits
0: (laughs) (laughs) We also see so and so Godbrand Godbrand's not very bright, right? Um, no,
1: he's not. God, Godbrand uh, is you know Godbrand is, is very much muscle, not brains.
0: Yeah, Godbrand, not the sharpest tool in the shed. Godbrand, in what is very obvious to me, Godbrand really misreads things and decides to try and chat with Hector. And you know, Carmilla, I think, is smart. I think Carmilla. Is really spot on about which people slash vampires are more likely to be receptive to her. Godbrand's just like, eh, and tries to recruit Isaac, who fucking kills him.
1: Yep. Cause because mm. Isaac is loyal to Dracula and is not here for what he views as treason.
0: Yep, not on board. Meanwhile, at the Belmont estate, they have found a magic mirror and are kind of continuing to explore. Saifa eventually kind of finds this uh, this locking spell in a book, which is not finished, but which she thinks she can figure out the rest of it. And that once she does, that she can use it to trap Dracula's castle in one place.
1: Yeah. Oh, She's, she, she references some specific languages, and I wish I had written them down because...
0: Yeah, so um, uh, at some point they reference Chaldean. So it's a lot of, if I remember correctly, I didn't write them all down, but it is a lot of languages that are mostly ancient Near Eastern, which makes sense in the context that so in particular, the language that she indicates as being the kind of central one that she's trying to work with is Edemic. Which is what she indicates is actually the language spoken by Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, pre the Tower of Babel, where everything got divided up into multiple languages.
1: Yeah. Oh, at one point they name dropped Enochian, which is...
0: I don't think actually a language, but which of course refers to the biblical figure of Enoch.
1: Well, it, no, it it is. It's uh, it's an occult language that was developed by uh, Elizabeth I's court magicians, which which would put oh. that a, a century after this.
0: Yeah. So, but it's it, yeah. So I assume in the context, it is uh, perhaps I didn't actually look it up. I was just like, this isn't a real language, and it, it kind of isn't a real language, right? It's a fake kind occult not, language developed no. in the 16th century. Constructed language is the term, I guess, not fake yeah, language.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, although although but, this is a world with magic, so maybe it is a real thing.
0: Right. And I assume, you know, And so if you actually take, you know, the name of it, as I said, it's presumably referring to the biblical figure of Enoch, who's described as having walked with God, one of these early figures. Oh, I think, I think Enoch is somewhere between Adam and Noah. If I'm remembering my Bible well.
1: I'll take your word for it.
0: Anyway, he's he, he's early on there. He's um mm-hmm. he's either, but I think he's between Adam and Noah. But if I'm wrong, the latest he is is he's like between Noah and Abraham. So you know he is a he's a very early figure in uh in the Bible. And as I said, that he's described as walking with God. So it kind of makes sense in this you know magical context that that would be presented as. An early language that you know, if we're thinking about something like you know, Romance languages developing from Latin, that you know, develops from Edemic and has close ties to it.
1: Okay, here's I, I'm I've just looked it up. Enoch is pre- Noah. He is he is noteworthy because you know, there's there's a whole chapter of Genesis that like lists you know, and this was the begats, yeah, the the begats. And, and Enoch like, is
0: one of the few, I think, that gets any like additional info, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, they, they all they all died at, after you know however many hundreds of years, except for Enoch, who it oh, says right. was yeah. taken taken by God and walks with God.
0: Yes. Which,
1: but he doesn't die as such, no. which is yeah. like. What's Interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah
1: and, and that's have, all the uh, info
0: we get but yeah
1: people have speculated about that for centuries but
0: indeed indeed but uh, yeah so you know we've we've got all these cool languages right and if we you know take in a context of magic and ignore the enochian as a later constructed language you know it makes sense right that something called enochian would be this kind of yeah. like very early language so you know cool sure. cool touch That's what's happening at uh, the remains of Castle Belmont. Meanwhile, in the war council at Castle Dracula, which I don't think it's actually called Castle Dracula, but I'm going to call it Castle Dracula. uh, The
1: castle is called Castlevania.
0: Castle... Oh, oh, that makes sense. Yes, that is the name of the show. Yep. So meanwhile, at Castlevania, we've got the, you know, continued development of both the war plan and of... Carmilla's secret war plan, which essentially is that she, the real reason she wants to bring everybody to Brayla is because Brayla is what she's decided is a convenient location to bring all of her people who are then going to take over the castle when all the people loyal to Dracula are outside the castle fucking up Brela. Yes. <laughs> and again, because she and Hector aren't idiots, <laughs> unlike Godbrand, ah. uh, Hector manages to convince Isaac to sign on to the Brayla plan by actually just presenting a really good military strategy reason that he should sign on to the Brayla plan and Dracula basically agrees and says I don't really give a shit like whatever at least it'll make them shut up do whatever you want
1: <laughs> yep Dracula is he's depressed at this point really he's just
0: Dracula is really depressed
1: <laughs> he does not give a shit what's happening around him he just wants it no. to end, really.
0: Yeah, I think at some point he's like, "I used." I think he said he talks about, you know, I once delighted in the details of death, and kind of goes on about how like there are these merchants in this town called Kronstadt, and like, and like I got real, like they were dicks to me, and so I was like. Great. This is my whole really complicated plan that I came up with to kill all of the merchants of Kronstadt. Interestingly, not to kill their family members. So their family members did have to look at their impaled corpses. So, you know, they didn't get out of this scot-free or anything. Yeah. But interesting that at this point, right, he is actually targeting much more precisely than he is currently currently. In terms of his vendetta against humanity. But yeah, and it goes on, and he's like, I don't have the energy for this shit anymore. Like, that seems like so much work. I just really want to kill everybody. And it's just like, buddy, you just like, I, I get, like, obviously, as we've said, we need therapy, but I'm also like, I feel like you're doing genocide in lieu of taking a nap.
1: Mm <laughs> hmm. Yeah. I think I think it's also like they also mentioned that he's not feeding or sleeping at this point like
0: yes. So yeah, Dracula Dracula is losing it.
1: Dracula's rough. Dracula's in a bad state.
0: Yeah. So yeah, things things are not going well with Dracula. So we Also, as we said before, right? Carmella was smart enough to indicate that they should send some of these night creatures to Castle Belmont in order to you know see if Mr. Trevor Belmont has turned, has turned up there. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the night creatures arrive. I love how they arrive, by the way, in the middle of a conversation that they are having where uh, Saifa is basically talking about, like, you know, like, we don't do God, like, you know, we're we're in fact anti-God, like, we think God sucks, and uh. <laughs> And then, like, there's this, like, massive, like, thud, and she's, like, and, like, and you know, and, like, you know, and it's, like, clearly there's something outside, and she's, like, you see? God hates me. And Alucard's, like, that's <laughs> probably not God.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, so good.
0: Uh, they then, of course, have to fight all of these night creatures at this point, which is... Uh, you know, very intense scene. Again, with like some great design that we actually get to like really kind of look because he's sort of fighting each one kind of like just about one at a time. And so we really get to kind of highlight all of them individually. Uh, the last one has, uh, does have a kind of like plague mask-like thing, which, you know, is a bit early for that, but you know, whatever, he's a demon, I'll let it pass.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> and yeah, Dracula, meanwhile, is continues to be like, I just do not give a shit, just kill them, whatever. And actually says that, ugh, I'm doing this just to keep the peace between squabbling creatures who will starve and die. So indicating that in fact, his plan is not only fuck the humans, also fuck the vampires. My plan is absolutely just that we will slowly all starve to death after I commit genocide because no, I do not have a plan for that. I just do not give a shit. Yup. (laughs) they're having their battle the kind of main thrust of this battle actually in terms of how everything works is that trevor's job is that trevor is actually fighting the demons he is holding off the demons while alucard and sypha are doing are on the next stage of the plan and what this is is that alucard knows how magic mirrors work and so he's dealing with the magic mirror and sypha is figuring out this locking spell and then applying it via the mirror so they are magically occupied while trevor is doing the fighting yes essentially how this ends up going is that this battle mean so they they get a lock on the castle in the mirror right or they find the castle in the mirror then the castle moves because that's exactly when the castle goes to Brela. and so then yep. they have to find the castle again right so you know we we have more kind of time that they need to do their shit and uh, find the castle again And eventually, you know, it's a very, very difficult process, but Saifa does manage, in fact, to lock the castle in place, ultimately. Um, And this happened, and well, I'm sorry, not the lock, move the castle and then lock it in place, she moves it to what we will eventually realize is literally directly on top of them, which is, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, maybe... Moving it a little to the left could have been a good call, uh, yeah. but moves it uh, directly on top of them, and uh, this is happening. Then during this battle in Brela, and Carmilla just kind of looks and goes, "What the fuck?"
1: Yeah, because Carmilla and Hector have left the castle, and they are and they are kind of directing. Well, so they have this. They have this plan to uh, basically trap. Dracula's loyal vampires and night creatures by using the the reanimated corpse of the Bishop of Grecia. To turn the fucking Danube, the whole goddamn thing, into holy water.
0: Yes, which Which is is... also amazing because, like, he then is dying as he is, like, in the holy water. And it's, like, so satisfying because, like, you know, this guy just, no matter what, absolutely sucks. And it's very satisfying that we then get to see him die twice.
1: Yes. Also, this is the holiest thing he does in the whole show after he is fucking undead and
0: yeah yeah and you know it's interesting i will say this is also the guy that like in the very beginning of the show right there was like somebody's like heaven's like your main goal right Is a church guy and he's like not really i'm kind of more interested in what's going on here on earth yeah <laughs> yeah so we definitely, you know, I, I, I do have thoughts, which I'm not going to, I've talked about many times before about how there is, I think, a kind of over tendency to emphasize in a lot of medieval set media, the hypocrisy of the church, but that doesn't mean there wasn't hypocrisy in the church. So, yeah. you know, uh, it's, you know, I, I would say seeing, seeing this guy go twice is satisfying.
1: Yep. Also, we, we did skip over uh, a couple little discussions while they were wandering around the library of why there is a man named Trevor Belmont in Wallachia.
0: Oh, yes.
1: <laughs> it's like, it's, Cypher's like, Belmont's not a Wallachian name. And, and so Trevor like d- goes into this whole explanation of like his ancestor Leon Belmont was a French knight who came to the area because like, he was a monster fighter, and this is where the monsters were. And so, monsters like,
0: ditch France and move yeah, to Eastern Europe, as you do.
1: Follow the follow the work, and then and then she's like, "Trevor's not a French name, though," and and he's like, "Ah," uh, and and he's like, "Well, Leon Belmont had a friend who was a Celt named Trefor, and it's." Mm-hmm. It's a hilariously convoluted bit of reasoning f- for like the Doyalist reason is is just like the Japanese makers of the game did not it's like, eh, we'll just give this man a name. <laughs>
0: Yes. Yeah. We also did skip over and I will make sure to note because I will be going back to it that in their discussion of all of the fun things that they are finding, Saifa does note that she found an entire box of spells about penises. Yes.
1: Yes. As I
0: said, we'll be coming back to the spells about penises.
1: Yeah. She's like, this is interesting. Uh, Not quite what we need right now.
0: but You know, a lot of... A lot of I, collected wisdom. We, we might
1: revisit this later. Um. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, so now now Dracula's castle has conveniently come to them, thanks to Cypher. So they go inside to kill Dracula.
1: Yeah, they come in on a fight scene already in progress because Carmilla's vampire troops are fighting Dracula's vampire troops in the foyer. And like, suddenly, like, they all all of them 201 just absolutely freeze in what they're doing and turn and look and we have Sypha, Trevor and Alucard like walk in I love this sequence It be- like I call it the bloody tears sequence because the song that plays in the background is one of the most iconic like themes in the sh- in the in the game franchise bloody tears mm-hmm. it's one of those like ones that like pops up in every game and so, like they have like this full orchestral version of this playing as, as Trevor, Cytha, and Alucard just absolutely wreck shop as a perfectly oiled combat machine, yeah. through these vampires, and it's amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it is. Yeah, just absolutely excellent. It's also a really cool battle in that you really can see all three of the uh, of our of our heroes showcasing their distinct skills and kind of working together. And it's it's very cool.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alucard uh, can fly and turns into a wolf and is like he's he's fighting with his fangs and claws while he is telekinetically controlling his long sword, which is like flying yeah. around next to him. Trevor's got the Morning Star whip. Sifah is like throwing magic around left and right like
0: and she just like these magic like kills are brutal like she bisects a vampire with a sheet of ice it's amazing
1: yeah oh there's one of the vampires like goes into like the mist form so that so that alucard and, and trevor can't touch her but because she is missed sipha just freaking freezes her and then shatters her
0: yeah no it is it is intense so an alucard eventually does go to go ahead and confront Dracula and he you know makes the very apt statement that I think we have been leading to plot wise that this entire catastrophe has been nothing but history's longest suicide note which again yeah Dracula really needed some therapy but you know that it very much highlights right this is all like he's just really fucking depressed and is like I'm so depressed I guess I will just kill Everything.
1: Yeah. I will kill everyone in the world and then myself.
0: Yeah. Um, Um, He's just going to like do it slowly, essentially, like by starvation. Uh, But you know.
1: Yeah. And also, this is closely followed by like probably one of the most satisfying lines in the whole show where Dracula's like, You couldn't defeat me on your own before. What makes you think you can do it now? And as Trevor and Saifa step up to stand next to him, Alucard says, This time I'm not alone.
0: Yeah. And it's like, Oh, so nice. they're going to kill it.
1: They're, they're going to save the world with the power of friendship. I love moments yeah.
0: like Yeah. <laughs> with the power of friendship, together, truly, they can kill their friend's dad.
1: Yep. <laughs> um,
0: it's a very long fight. I um, mean, you know, yeah. I would say like that fight is probably about solidly like half the episode.
1: And Dracula. We, we get to see, like, why he has a reputation as the strongest vampire yes. ever. Because, like, you know, these three were, like, tearing through all of the regular vampires. And now they're right. up against Dracula. Like, Trevor nails him with a solid hit with from the Morningstar, which up till now was, like, just a one-hit kill weapon. Like, anything it, it he manages to hit with the sensor on the end, like, just blows up. And he hits dracula with it and there is an explosion and then and this is like the first thing that like briefly wins dracula he's like oh, right the morning star like, whip well played belmont
0: he's like Ugh, that kind of hurt good job
1: yeah uh, also i will note that like trevor's opening move he's got he's like he is armed with the Morning Star Whip, Leon Belmont's sword, a wooden stake, and yet his first move against Dracula is to try and punch him in the face.
0: Yes, which is <laughs> useless, by the way.
1: Dracula uh, does Dracula doesn't like react to the, the punching at all beyond just like turning and being like, You must beat really? the
0: Belmont. <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: You must be the Belmont.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And also, I mean, we know right that Dracula has not been eating and sleeping. He's basically been constantly like essentially like, I really need a fucking like, you know, six hour depression nap. And like so this is Dracula at his worst.
1: Yeah. So imagine him like not at his worst.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, like they're like they are losing to Dracula at his least effective.
1: Mm hmm Yeah. Eventually the fight the fight kind of leaves trevor and cypha behind because like alucard and dracula are superhumanly fast and so they are right. like duking it out with each other as like blowing through walls of the castle like from room to room to room and like trevor and cypha are just like trying to run and catch up like i i genuinely think that the only reason dracula loses is because he gives up
0: Yeah, Uh, yeah, I mean, that's pretty. Yeah,
1: the last room they end up in is Alucard's childhood bedroom, and it is then that it suddenly clicks in Dracula's brain what exactly he is doing. And he, like, yeah, just locks up and he's like, My boy, I'm killing my boy, and it's yeah, very sad. And he and he just also,
0: the childhood bedroom gives... is so sweet. There's, yeah. like, his childhood drawings. There's, like, a stuffed husky. It's really cute.
1: Mm-hmm. And then he just, like, doesn't offer any resistance when Alucard then stakes him with his own bed, with his childhood bedpost.
0: Yeah, it's, it's rough.
1: It's rough. It is so rough. And, yeah. like, Alucard has to live with this.
0: Yeah, and you know, and then it's like the other two come in, and like, it's nice that they're helping, but like, they obviously are not here for the like, emotional moment as like, Alucard has staked him, and then for good measure, Belmont like, chops his head off, and Saifa sets him on fire.
1: Yep. Which, for a dra- for a vampire as powerful as Dracula, you probably need to do all that to keep yeah, him down, do Yeah, but... do the extra
0: steps. Mm-hmm. And they all leave holding hands, though. So that's nice.
1: Also, yeah, it is. This is the second to last episode of the season. Like, we have killed the big bad of the show. And we are not even at the end of the second season, which is a really interesting choice. But it is also like, but it's also like left us with enough plot threads to, like, pick up on going forward. Yes. with, With the other characters. We didn't talk about what happened to isaac because isaac yes yeah isaac is like i will i will die defending you dracula and dracula's like that's actually really sweet
0: and you deserve better
1: you deserve better and so he like summons his magic transmission mirror pushes isaac through it and isaac is now like stranded in the deserts of tunisia where like I mean that's not a great place to be stranded but like I know but at least he's not making a a last stand to protect a man who was already planning to die.
0: Yeah, you know, he is he is surviving and we will see mm-hmm. him in the next episode which yeah sets up a lot of threads for things that are going to happen next.
1: Yeah. There there are you you haven't seen season 3 yet but there are like several plot Threads following these various characters, and I would say that I honestly think that of the various threads in season three, Isaac's is possibly the most interesting.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing more of him. I found uh, I found his character really interesting, and like, and so his setup basically, right, is that he is in Tunisia, he gets attacked by these people who kind of call him it, say they're going to capture and enslave him, and maybe eat him, and he's mm-hmm. like, yeah, no, fuck you, kills all of them. And then yeah. starts thinking, you know what I'd like an army and uh, resurrects them all to be his undead army.
1: Yeah, because it's like, maybe people will leave me alone if I have an army to keep them away.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's an, a fun start. Um, Alucard uh, originally is basically like, I'm just going to go back to bed. I don't give a shit. And yeah. Trevor then gives him the Belmont Library and says, yeah, the, you know, make Belmont something Hold. of, yeah, it says, like, make something yeah. of, you know, you have these two greatest libraries, you know, you have the collected wisdom of both your father and your father's people and of your mother's people, of, uh, you know, humans. Yeah. And, uh, you know, with that, make something of all of this.
1: Yeah, it's like, pass the knowledge to future generations, like, yeah. which is a a very sweet move, especially for yeah. Trevor. <laughs>
0: like, yes, Trevor yeah, that he really is not sweet often man. sweet. <laughs> right. So, yeah, but that is a very sweet move. And I think is, you know, really lovely in terms of potentially kind of having a nice starting point for Alucard. But also the very last thing I will say we see, and we'll go back to some other threads in this episode. The very last thing we see in this episode and in the season is alucard sitting alone and crying this this dude really needs a friend
1: he does yeah also (laughs) uh trevor and sypha go off to be essentially traveling adventurers fighting yes because there's still a lot of night creatures like left roaming the countryside and they are the most qualified people to do something about it
0: yes and sypha's
1: Sypha's like like Belnades and Belmont, <laughs> and Trevor's and like, like, I don't
0: even get first billing.
1: Trevor's like, I don't get first billing. Eh, whatever, it's fine.
0: Yeah, no, and I love that she's like, you know, like I'm, like I'm the adventure, and you're my sidekick. Or maybe if you don't talk too much, people will think you're my pet bear.
1: <laughs> yeah. Throughout season three, like she tends to introduce Trevor to people as, "and this is my idiot servant."
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> Which you know, fair. Mm-hmm it yeah. is also
1: like very apparent that like they start having feelings for each other and are like yes yes
0: yeah we're definitely getting that vibe so sad for me personally that Carmilla who i would say up till now all of her actions 100 percent legit and justifiable in this last episode takes a turn she's decided that you know dracula's dead I want to be in charge. She decides she wants Hector. And honestly, I think she could have just talked him into it, but she doesn't. She enslaves him and beats him up and is very mean to him. And I don't like it.
1: Yeah. Because I like Hector.
0: He likes dogs.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty brutal. And uh, yeah,
0: no, it's awful.
1: And in season three, like Carmilla goes home and her sister Lenore is like, calls her out for specifically that it's like he would have worked yeah. for you like what you, yeah why did you do that
0: and it's just like like his whole vibe is also basically like he's he's like i think Humo actually calls him a puppy and that really is kind of his vibe is like he he's is. like oh like don't kick the puppy like come on yeah
1: yeah yeah uh, so 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 we have yeah. uh we have four like separate plot threads going forward we've got Alucard at the castle we've got Sypha and Trevor on their adventures we've got Isaac with his new undead army in Tunisia and Mm -hmm. we have Carmilla and Hector uh heading back to Styria
0: yes so looking forward to seeing where that goes in the next season but for now since we, you know, we've already been talking for like, you know, 90 minutes. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> clearly you didn't have time in the episode to do another two seasons anyway. So Fair. yeah, <laughs> let's go ahead and get into the Vera et Falso, where we talk about what this show got right and wrong, uh, with obviously the caveat that clearly it's fantasy. They're not intending for things to be right. Uh, we all obviously know that Wallachia did not descend into vampire genocide in the 15th century, et cetera.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: First of all, I will note that unlike uh, some things in some other forthcoming episodes of this podcast, we do actually have everything set in a real geographical region. <laughs> will like be yep. as a real place? And yes. that even many of these cities mentioned are generally real. Uh, Targoviccia and Brela, certainly. Greșit is at least not currently a kind of functioning city in Romania.
1: I, I looked it up. Grezit is actually the only named city that is not real.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, that was my sense looking things up as well.
1: Targovishta was the capital of Ulakia, as it is presented here. Brela is the port p- city. The port city. Argesh is a fairly major ish city at that point in time. Kroningsberg, or whatever it was that, that Dracula went and killed those merchants, that's also real, although it is right. called something different today going on into season three there there all the c- cities there are also real like uh there's all the places there are real like lindenfeld and Styria is a is a region mm-hmm. in austria yeah. tunis and genoa which is where right isaac passes through when he is headed back to europe
0: it makes sense as a place in fact to yeah. uh, be passing through
1: yeah isaac isaac's like Again, ports. well Isaac's like, I think Dracula's dead. So I'm going to uh, avenge him. And I'm going to start with Hector because Hector betrayed him. (laughs) Yeah. So I have to find Hector first.
0: Yeah. Cool that it does have a real setting. This is just a fun fact because we have so many important libraries is that quite recently at the date of recording, which is early October, we just discovered A new Romanian library, Uh, you know, by new, we mean new to us, uh, not new. Uh, So a research team found a cachet of books in the maker's Tower of St. Margaret's Church in Mediash, which is a town in central Romania. And so this was uh, sometime in, uh, I think, mid, earlier mid-September that they found this. And the repository, yeah, includes 139 printed books dating between 1470 and 1600, a couple of manuscripts in the early 16th century, about 60 charters and other documents, so the kind of things that us social historians are always really excited about, uh, dating between the 14th and 16th century, plus some manuscript fragments that are kind of like, just like pieces that are dropped inside other parish records, the earliest of which is Carolingian, and so may date back to the ninth wow. century. So pretty awesome.
1: That is awesome.
0: Yeah. So, and you know, and libraries are really useful, both for, you know, potentially the specific things that they contain, maybe being things that, you know, especially if you're talking about a charter, right, this might be something we don't have another exemplar of, but in terms of kind of thinking about the books themselves, it's also a really interesting way to understand... Uh, kind of intellectual culture in a particular region is by looking at the library and looking at libraries looking at what books they chose to to have and to own and to you know and you know to copy in the case of older manu- of manuscripts right and to you know actually get printed in the context of printed books so really cool discovery that yeah. is nicely timed for this episode Great. yeah that's very cool Let's talk about superstition, science, medicine, and witch burning. Yeah. So, on the one hand, there are certain aspects of scientific and philosophical speculation, those things being linked together, that are met with some church discomfort in the late Middle Ages and into the early modern period. So, you know, I mean, think uh, things like Galileo, right? That challenging certain things about cosmology, challenging things like, and this comes up in philosophy a lot, challenging things like the question of whether the world was created out of nothing or whether there was pre-existing matter, those are hot-button topics for the church. Medicine, in contrast, is usually, with some caveats and exceptions that I'll get into in a moment, not challenged to the same degree. In part because churchmen, like everybody else, recognize that it's valuable and useful because, you know, it's not as good as modern medicine. They're not, in fact, running around discovering penicillin, but it's not (laughs) as useless and destructive as it's often presented in other context. you know, in some contexts, including this one, right, where the previous healing woman is just giving, like, you know, powders made out of her, you know, foot skin, you know, in reality, there's enough that they're able to figure out based on trial and error that there are some ways in which some medieval medicine is actually helping people to some degree. And if you're looking at something like, say, the context surrounding the Black Death, one thing that I find really interesting is that there is a really notable willingness to embrace essentially kind of using all of the tools in your toolbox. So yes, you have religious processions and Self flagellation and maybe also some, you know, killing some Jews here and there. But that does coexist with saying, like, yeah, no, we should use whatever, you know, we should do what the doctors are saying we should do. We should do things like, you know, quarantining. We should do things like this one turns out to be less helpful using sachets of aromatic herbs to protect us from the plague. That one didn't work out that well. But, you know, the point Mm -hmm. being that they're willing to combine uh, scientific and religious approaches. I will say, however, women are more likely to come under scrutiny in terms of having their expertise challenged, being drawn up on medical malpractice charges, and maybe even being accused of witchcraft. But in Romania in particular, we're probably still a bit early for that. The earliest recorded witch trial and execution in Romania, which was actually of a you know a woman who was a midwife. Is in 1565, so nearly a century after the events of this film. Hmm.
1: I I didn't actually realize it reached Romania. I I, th- I always thought it was like mostly a Western thing.
0: It's I would say never uh, like I would not say that there are mass witch burnings in Romania. That it's really not a mass phenomenon in Romania to the extent that it is in Western and Central Europe, but that it's not unheard of. But as I said, it's even, like, it arrives there later than it does other places. So we're really quite early for it at this stage. My other snarky note is that Lisa does talk about this as being this kind of old knowledge forgotten in the Dark Ages, and I'm like, how old because if this is like a yay renaissance thing uh a the renaissance isn't actually that associated with medical advances and B, like greco-roman medicine isn't that great like where are you like is this like adam like what's happening
1: i I, I think this is a i think this is like a more of a ancient biblical times sort of mystical ish i I think that's
0: probably true and you know i which also you know It's fantasy. Uh, Obviously people in the Bible uh, did not have electricity and penicillin. I will just note.
1: Yeah. And, and also like, you know, in real life, there are also not people who can create ice with their mind.
0: No, no. So, you know, that's fine. The other thing that I thought was a sort of interesting slash odd choice is that when we see the church in terms of things like, you know, like what we hear of liturgy, the fact that they're using Latin, what the ecclesiastical yeah. vestments looks like, you know, what the church hierarchy looks like, the art and architecture we see—all of this seems to be coding the local church as basically being the Roman Catholic Church, when in reality, this is a majority Eastern Orthodox
1: yes. area. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where the patriarch is based at this point, but it's, but it's. The schism between the, between the Catholic and Orthodox Church, like, was not a, like, one-and-done 1054. No. Like, the, the, but the, we are
0: 1476. It
1: is 1476. Like, this was, this was, like, not a, This like, the schism was not a one-and-done event. It was a thing that happened over time. But, like, this is really late in the game. And there
0: are efforts that are actually quite late. so in the in the mid 15th century uh, prior to the Ottoman conquest of Constantinople, there are basically efforts on the part of the Pope to be like, you know, we would help you out if you wanted to say reunite the churches and to accept the authority of the papacy. Uh, doesn't quite work out. No, it, n- no one does. <laughs> and as we'll actually talk about later, there are some rumors, at least, that Vlad Dracula actually might have converted to Catholicism. But in terms of what would have been the dominant kind of local ecclesiastical hierarchy, all of that would have been Eastern Orthodox and not Roman yeah. Catholic.
1: Yeah. This is this is only 23 years after the fall of Constantinople. Um, right. I believe at this point Wallachia is an Ottoman vassal state. like yes, it is,
0: that's correct.
1: It is it is it has retained some degree of autonomy but like they
0: are supposed to be paying tribute, which is one of the things that I'll, I'll talk about more when I uh, talk about our buddy our buddy Vlad in particular. That's what's happening at this stage, right, is that it's a majority Eastern Orthodox area, which is a tribute state of the Muslim-ruled Ottoman Empire. And also this comes up as well, just note, you know, architecture-wise, uh, you know, a lot of the churches that we see are, you know, Gothic churches with, uh, you know, very much kind of like a Northern European, like a Northwestern European style, you know, stained glass, for example, in contrast, I actually kind of looked up. Okay, what does a Romanian church look like? And you know, found an example. Uh, the one I looked at in particular was the Princely Church of Saint Nicholas in Cortia Darges, and this is very much in the in the Byzantine style. So, like a lot of domes uh, yeah. versus the a lot of pointed arches, essentially. In short, so architecturally, I would say a lot of the visuals of the film are, as I said, kind of associating the church then with this kind of Northwestern Gothic when that's not quite what things would have actually looked like in late medieval Romania.
1: Yeah, good dome.
0: Yeah, great, great domes. Another thing I will note, however, that they arguably do well is in referencing there being a whole lot of spells about penises. This is <laughs> certainly a thing that people at least were concerned that there would be spells about. And so I wanted to share some excerpts from the Malleus Maleficarum, a quite unpleasant but occasionally entertaining tractate from 1487 on rooting out witches. We have already shown that they have can that they, witches, can take away the male organ, not indeed by actually despoiling the human body of it, but by concealing it with some glamour. And of this we shall instance a few examples. In the town of Radisbon, a certain young man who had an intrigue with a girl wishing to leave her lost his member. That is to say, some glamour was cast over it so that he could not he could see or touch nothing but his smooth body. She does eventually get restored by the witch that he suspects of, you know, having harmed him. And it says the witch touched him with her hand between the thighs, saying, now you have what you desire. And the young man, as he afterwards said, plainly felt, even before he had verified it by looking or touching, that his member had been restored to him by the mere touch of the witch. Another case, a similar experience is narrated by a venerable father from the Dominican House of Spires, well known in the order for the honesty of his life and for his learning. One day, he says, while I was hearing confessions, a young man came to me and in the course of confession, woefully said that he had lost his member. Being astonished at this and not willing to give it easy credence, since in the opinion of the wise, it is a mark of lightheartedness to believe too much, I obtained proof of it when I saw nothing on the man's removing his clothing and showing the place. Normal thing to do in confession.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: Then using the wisest counsel I could, I asked whether he suspected anyone of having so bewitched him, and the young man said he didn't suspect someone, but she was absent and living in Worms. Then I said, I advise you to go to her as soon as possible and try your utmost to soften her with gentle words and promises. And he did so. For he came back after a few days and thanked me, saying he was whole and had recovered everything. And I believed his words, but again, proved them by the evidence of my eyes. This guy's spending a lot of time <laughs> stripping in the confessional. I love it. And finally, one more. What shall we think about those witches who somehow take members in large numbers, 20 or 30, and shut them up together in a bird's nest or some box where they move about like living members, eating oats or other feed? (laughs) This has been seen by many and is a matter of common talk. One should say that it is all brought about by the devil's work and illusion. The senses of the witnesses are deceived in the manner we have mentioned above. A man reported that he had lost his member and approached a certain witch in order to restore his health. She told the sick man to climb a particular tree where there was a nest containing many members and allowed him to take any one he liked. When he tried to take a big one, the witch said, You may not take that one, adding, Because it belonged to a parish priest.
1: <laughs> this
0: is incredible. Ugh. So, Yes, it seems realistic in context that indeed Cypher could have found in the extensive Belmont library an entire box of spells about penises. It's
1: like I, I have here I have here a bag of dicks.
0: <laughs> Here's my yeah. nest of, move, of moving penises. I do, of course, also have to highlight the excellent illustration, which is 16th century. You know, it's a witch who has deputized a cat to seal a member. And so there is this image of a cat who is just like walking off with a disembodied penis. And uh, and so the cat's got this penis and there's a nun in the background who's trying to uh, tempt the cat with a fish to switch out the penis for a fish. And the cat's like, nah.
1: <laughs> Phenomenal. <laughs>
0: So the last thing that I will note in the Vera et Falso before getting into the Historia et Veritas, where we will get into the real history of Vlad Dracula, is that I do want to briefly refer to Carmilla of Styria, and that she is not drawn from a real 15th century ruler, but uh, does not in fact come from nowhere, that she is drawn from Sheridan Le Fanu's 1872 Gothic novella Carmilla which is a vampire story with queer overtones described as perhaps one of the origins of the lesbian vampire trope.
1: Yes. Carmilla is one of those characters who uh, like pops up pretty frequently in the Castlevania game series. She's like a recurring boss. Mm.
0: Neat. So yeah, so that she is, she is drawing, uh, she is uh, being drawn from this other literary source.
1: One that, one that inter- interestingly uh, predates the Bram Stoker novel Dracula by 25 yes. years.
0: Indeed. Indeed. Which is a good lead into the Historia at Veritas, where we will talk about our buddy, Vlad Third, Tepes Dracula. And I will actually just, by the way, apologize. I do not speak Romanian. I'm doing my level best. Yes. Uh, please correct me. So... He is a real person, but a lot of the reality of his life is mixed up with legends, both ones from his own era, more or less, and shortly after his death, but also a lot, of course, to the imagination of Bram Stoker and his 1897 novel with Dracula, which then names the main character Dracula. And there are debates that I will not get into in too much detail among literary scholars about the extent to which. Bram Stoker actually knew anything about this actual person, and yeah. is like drawing on him actively, as opposed to using the name Dracula because he found it in one book in a library. It might have just been that, but yeah, you know. But let's say something about our historical figure. He was born to Vlad the Second. was referred to at the epithet Dracul, which means the dragon. Sometime between 1428 and 1431. Uh, and this is interesting in that at this stage, I would say for somebody of this stature in Western Europe at this stage, like we're talking about the son of a ruler. I would say we would probably have precise enough records that we would know his actual, at least, year of birth yeah. by the 15th century. So interesting that uh, this is not necessarily the case then with our Eastern European records. Yeah. We are also rather vague on precisely who his mother is. We do know that he was held as a hostage in the Ottoman Empire uh, starting in 1442, along with his brother Radu, basically to secure his father's loyalty. So, you know, relatively common in this period, uh, there are concerns about somebody's loyalty, especially in a context like this, right, of a, uh, you know, the, um, of Wallachia being this kind of tribute state uh, that, you know, that is subject ultimately to the Ottoman Empire that makes sense that they might want to do this. Dad's not a great dad, I will say, in that uh, (laughs) dad basically is like, eh, and decides in 1444 to take sides against the Ottoman Empire and knowing that, like, they have his two kids, like, two of his kids. So, yeah, not father of the year, but they were apparently left unharmed. Lucky for them. No thanks to his father. He also had a rather messy path to the throne of his, the title, his official title, by the way, is the Voivoda of Valachia. He's actually not the firstborn son. His older brother is, I believe, named Mercia. And uh, his father and older brother get murdered after John Hunyadi, who is one of the Hungarian rulers, invades Wallachia. There's a lot of messy back and forth between basically the Ottoman Empire and Hungary and some other places. So it's, it's kind of a mess.
1: And Wallachia is conveniently located between Hungary and the Ottomans.
0: Yes. Yes, you know, sort of one of those things where, uh, you know, the accident of geography basically means that everybody is sort of fighting on top of Wallachia and yeah. that the Wallachian rulers and their people are having a rough go of it.
1: Like like in the world wars when, uh, when the Germans are like, we're going to invade France, France through Belgium.
0: <laughs> Sorry, Belgium.
1: We're also going to invade Norway through Sweden. Uh, Sorry, Sweden. It's like, it's like, y'all are neutral right and sweden's like yes it's like okay but do you mind if we like use your railways and they're like yes (laughs) okay we're gonna do it anyway
0: (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, so, you know, here here we've got the medieval version of that. After this invasion, this Hungarian invasion, Vlad's cousin Vladislav gets installed as voivode and Vlad actually is able to eventually establish some of his own authority, in fact, with Ottoman support. Uh, presumably, they think because they kind of had him at this court for a while, that this maybe means that, you know, he'll be potentially loyal to them. Turns out that didn't work out so well in the long term, but this is presumably the reason behind helping him out at this stage. Age. and actually then interesting when he finally kind of more fully establishes his rule in 1456 it's thanks to the fact that the Hungarians have decided they're not that into Vladislav anymore and are now backing him so we've got a lot mm. of back and forth here
1: mm-hmm. yep
0: This, this, by the way, will not be the end of his difficulties, due in part to there being continued conflicts with both the Ottomans and the Hungarians. This includes a period of over a decade in which Matthias Porvidas, then King of Hungary, had him imprisoned.
1: I I will make note of the name Matthias because there is, in, in deep Castlevania backstory, the game Lament of Innocence, which is the distant prequel starring like leon belmont and telling how he Mm -hmm. uh ended up in wallachia there is a there is a significant antagonist named matthias who also is interesting who is also connected to dracula
0: presumably a referent
1: yeah quite possibly
0: yeah and it's also, by the way, during this period, presumably in part to justify the fact that they've like got this guy locked in their house, that uh, Corvinus's courtiers start to spread some rumors about Vlad's intense brutality. He will ultimately end up dying in a battle against the Ottomans and the person they now want to be running things in Wallachia. And by the way, his burial place is unclear. Spooky.
1: Oh. Well, you see, he rises from the grave about every hundred years to yeah. terrorize the people. And, and he has to be stopped by uh, typically a scion of the House of Belmont. And
0: mm-hmm. So this also, uh, let's, let's then talk about, right, this uh, reputation for brutality. So here's a good, a good sort of example of this. All right. So he is put on the throne basically in part with Ottoman help. And then in 1461, he says, yeah, I'm not going to pay tribute to the Ottomans. Fuck that. And for good measure, executes the Sultan's envoys. He then invades the uh, kind of closest parts of the Ottoman Empire and is like really just like wrecking villages. So the Ottomans invade Wallachia and are probably at this stage want to replace Vlad with his brother Radu, who they're like, well, this one, this one also hung out at our court. He maybe still likes us. Thumbs up.
1: Second time lucky, maybe. Yeah.
0: Yeah. They invade. They land at Brela because Brela is the port. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Vlad retreats to Targovista and adopts in between basically what we would call a scorched earth policy. In other words, he wrecks literally everything they see. And this opening scene where Lisa is uh, kind of walking through this forest of impaled corpses, This is actually the experience of the Ottomans approaching Targovista in order to carry out this invasion, is that they walk in and there are stakes uh, on which, according to a Byzantine historian who's kind of one of these sort of last like scions of the Byzantine Empire, this Greek historian is kind of writing mostly about the last years of the Byzantine Empire and then some of the early Ottoman stuff. He says that there were these stakes on which 20,000 men, women and children had been spitted and the Sultan is... And is astonished and says, in fact, that it was not possible to deprive of his country a man who had done such great deeds and had such a diabolical understanding of how to govern his realm and his people. Okay. Yeah. He's like, all right, I, this is intense and I kind of respect it. (laughs) Fair. (laughs) And, you know, there are, there are some really intense stories. There's one I'm not going to share because I think it's too gross about, like, what he does specifically to mothers and their nursing infants. Just, just not going to say it on this podcast, but, mm-hmm. like, there are a lot of these stories. One should perhaps take them with some grain of salt in that they are typically circulated by his enemies, but uh, there's kind of too many of them for there not to be some truth. And in Romanian texts, he tends to be presented as basically harsh but fair. Yeah. So there's a sense that they kind of respect him as a ruler, even though they're also like, yeah, don't don't get on this dude's bad side. Yeah. Other notes uh, that, as I mentioned before, there is some possibility he actually converted to Catholicism. So his second wife, Justina Gilagi, who uh, had an impressive four husbands over the course of her lifetime, Uh, Vlad was the second. So she's a cousin of Matthias Corvinus. And basically like while Matthias has him imprisoned, he's like, do you want to marry my cousin? Thumbs up. Uh, And at some point there is some possibility that as a condition of this marriage and or of his release from being imprisoned that he might have agreed to convert to Catholicism, but it's a little, we don't know quite for sure.
1: Huh. Okay. Interesting.
0: The show interestingly does really kind of, you know, it really does take place quite precisely during the actual lifetime of this real figure All with the exception, of course, that he had been, you know, alive decades rather than centuries in, you know, 1476 when the events of this show take place. But I do find it interesting that the actually corresponds with uh, 1475, 1476. So say the beginning of this process, that's when he gets released from prison and reestablishes control. And uh, probably early 1477 is when he dies. So, uh, again, kind Hmm. of fitting into uh sort of context here
1: yeah i will say that castlevania 3 was intended to be like the earliest game in the series because it's like this is the origins of dracula but Mm -hmm. due to a typo in the instruction manual which said that Ah! dracula had been alive for centuries rather than decades that is why they later made lament of innocence which has which establishes like the origins of the Belmonts in Wallachia and the origins of the figure that they call Dracula in the mm. games, who who, uh-huh. is, who in this version, like, becomes a vampire in 1094.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, because, yeah, because he clearly in the show, right, is presented as having been around for quite a while. Yeah. I will also note, so, okay, so Alucard describes what his given name is as uh, Adrian Zepes, right? So implying that, like, and, and like, Lisa also is, like, Lisa Zepes, right? So implying that, like, this is a last name. This is not a last name. This is the Romanian word for the impaler, referring it to his preferred execution method. I feel like Lisa in particular maybe uh, would not have wanted to uh, use that as her surname.
1: No, probably not. (laughs) Uh, Yeah.
0: And there's actually a Turkish version of the same epithet that appears in in Ottoman sources. So he was just popularly referred to as Vlad the Impaler. He also did use Dracula as a way of referring to himself. And this is essentially refers back to his father. So we've already said his father was uh, known as Vlad Dracul, which basically means Vlad the Dragon. And Dracula is actually a Slavonic genitive, which means son of Dracul.
1: Yeah, son of the dragon.
0: Yeah, so the, the Dracula part is arguably more like a surname than the Sepesh part. Yes. So all of this, right, he clearly was uh, a quite colorful and well-known figure. And there were legends at the time circulating about vampires, but there does not seem to be any evidence that there is specifically a link between discussion of uh, Vlad Tepes, Dracula, and vampires until Bram Stoker decides to use the name Dracula for his character, at which point, regardless of his intentions, everybody else is like, oh, yes, this guy, Dracula, this is Dracula, vampire. Mm-hmm. However, I do think it is interesting that uh, we have this real emphasis in this show On Dracula as this intensely learned figure, this is something that does come up in Stoker's Dracula, that they talk about them as having learned the secrets of the devil, you know, uh, as this magical school called the Scholomance, which is identified as being amongst the mountains over Lake Hermannstadt, where the devil claims the 10th scholar as his due.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah. And this is actually... uh, yeah, and it's actually kind of one of the this uh this these kind of lines are actually one of the inspirations for a new series. In that the the third and final one just came out by Naomi Novik that is set at a sort of her her um understanding of the Uh So I was at a virtual book launch for the third book recently, and the person who was interviewing her kept be like being like, "When are we going to get the prequel about Dracula at the Skalaments?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which uh-huh. I would love. I would love that. That would, I need to, I need to read more books in general, but. <laughs> I, I, and
0: yeah, and I will also, uh, just as a plug, you know, you'd be coming in very much in the middle, but I am also, I've, ha- I've been reading a lot of Dracula recently because I signed up for uh, Dracula Daily, which has yes. uh, reorganized Dracula chronologically because it's an epistolary novel, right? So everything yeah. in it are like journals, letters, news clippings. And so, yeah, I'm reading the, like, chronological version of Dracula, where uh, every day I get a little bit of Dracula. I love it. Yeah.
1: I've been been indirectly following it on Tumblr. Like, I have not actually been signed up for Dracula Daily. I have been seeing Tumblr react to Dracula Daily, and it's like... (laughs) And I remember the day that Dracula crawled down the wall... (laughs) <laughs> uh
0: yeah no so stuff. been very fun with that and our references to some modern literature that could be a good lead into our fabula nostra where we talk about a film or other piece of media we'd like to see in the world inspired by this one yes so listen, i know you said that you came up with ideas
1: i did um before i before i get into my ideas i would like to note that there is a sequel series in progress like like, yes! I've Castlevania that has, has concluded after four seasons, like the story of Trevor Belmont and Saifah Belnavis and Alucard, except eh, not really a conclusion for Alucard, because Alucard is immortal. So the, the sequel series that is in the works is called Castlevania Nocturne, which is adapting two other games in the franchise, Rondo of Blood and Symphony of the Night. It's set during the French Revolution, and it will follow... Richter Belmont who is a descendant of Trevor and Sypha and he has to I guess fight Dracula again I'm not super clear on mm-hmm. where Dracula is at the end of this because uh, mm-hmm. I have not finished the show yet but it's it's Richter Belmont and he, he is also allied with a magic user in this case mm-hmm. a woman named Maria Renard who is I believe Richter's sister-in-law mm-hmm. um, and the third member of of this monster fighting trio is Alucard. He's
0: mm. still around. <laughs> he, he is immortal, so that's... Mm-hmm.
1: So, so that should be interesting to watch. Um, yeah. So my Fabula Nostra is, I want to see an adaptation of Lament of Innocence. I want to see the story of like, how Leon how a man named Leon Belmont ended up in Wallachia <laughs> and also like the origins of this figure that is known as Dracula because obviously yeah. it's not as as we said like he's been around for centuries so it's not like right. the historical Dracula as such no. so I want I want that show
0: yeah so I went a weird direction uh, <laughs> as I am often want to do there's a lot of Dracula stuff out there. Like a lot. There's so much Dracula. And don't get me wrong, I love Dracula. But in the interest of doing something different, and I'm always here for narratives that center women, I would like to do a vampire narrative centered instead on the figure of Elizabeth Bathory. So this is a Hungarian countess, July 1560 to 1614, who got accused in her lifetime of murdering hundreds of women and girls.
1: I would like to note in the Hungarian, it's pronounced Batchery.
0: Ah, good to know. My Hungarian is uh, non-existent. Uh, My Hungarian ancestors will be very disappointed in me. Uh, (laughs) My Hungarian
1: Hungarian is also non-existent. I just know this one fact.
0: (laughs) So Batchery, you said, is the correct pronunciation. Okay. So yes, Elizabeth Batchery, the Hungarian countess. So, so she was, in fact, uh, tried for uh, murder, mass murder, and some people who were identified as her accomplices were executed. She was condemned to house arrest. And long after her death, there were additional claims made that she had bathed in their blood, linking her, therefore, with some vampire mythology uh, and some versions in particular that she used to retain her youth. Vampires also are eternally young. So I think that she is, of course, a good candidate for a different vampire story. And of course, and so uh, what I actually want is I want like a really, really like pulpy kind of trashy vampire, mo- like lesbian vampire movie set around Elizabeth Thatcher, especially because, you know, vampire, there's so much link between like biting by vampires and sex. And, you know, she's a woman who's mostly doing this to other women. So I'm here for that. Mm-hmm. In terms of trying to avoid too much of a kind of predatory queer stereotype, I do also want to have uh, some of the girls who will ultimately escape both of them, uh, that there will be, you know, there'll be a couple as well. So that'll have a positive portrayal of a queer relationship as well in here. As an additional fun fact, I would like to do this movie in such a way that there is never, ever a single man on screen (laughs) through the entire film. I love it. Which I'm I think he can it. do. I think she has at least one male accomplice, but who cares, you know, uh, in the grand scheme? But, you know, we're making her into like a just like, a, you know, a like intense vampire. Like, uh, you know, I don't need to be historically accurate for once. So, ditching the male accomplices. Uh, I think she's got a husband, but like he's sickly. Who gives a shit? You know, maybe he's like in a back room somewhere. He doesn't need to be there either. Sure. So. <laughs> so yeah that's what i want i want the trashy vampire movie period piece set in the late 16th early 17th century about elizabeth Bathory, with zero men anywhere near this movie i love it yeah
1: there's i very quickly looked it up because i because i'm the kind of person that has to there is a villain who is clearly based on elizabeth Bathory in the castlevania games um hmm elizabeth bartley so the the name is a little off but but the details executed in the 1600s a vampire like all like the details are right she is the the villain of castlevania bloodlines and she is dracula's niece
0: oh interesting
1: connecting her to the larger mythos yeah And I'm happy
0: for her to say she's Dracula's niece, but Dracula is not going to be in the movie because there are no men in my movie.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Uh, of course.
0: (laughs) But he can be mentioned.
1: Yeah.
0: I I didn't really think too much about casting, but uh, I have, I will say, I have not actually seen X or Pearl, but I've been like really compelled by the trailer. So Mia Goff, who plays uh, the uh, main murderer, (laughs) In Uh those, uh, Mm -hmm. I think, and apparently actually in X, she like plays a double role and she plays both the sort of final girl character and the serial killer. Interesting. But the serial killer at that point, she's like in prosthetics and like, like to like look like a very old woman. And then Pearl is the prequel where she then plays that character in her youth. All right. Anyway, so uh, just, like, as I said, I've not actually seen either of these movies, but just, like, watching the trailer, I find, like, her in this role incredibly compelling, so I'm suggesting her as my casting.
1: I'm here for it. I'm Hmm. absolutely here for it.
0: So with that, we can now move to the Estimatio, or ratings, section, where we rate Castlevania on a scale from 1 to 5, based on whatever subjective criteria we see fit. And I think I am settling on a four. Okay. I really enjoyed it. I liked it a lot. I would overall highly recommend it. And I'm looking forward to watching the next two seasons. I would say the main things that I'm giving it points off for is that I know it's the fault of the source material. Don't love the fridging mm-hmm. as really the kind of central thing that they cannot escape from. Yeah. Yeah as representing the premise i don't love it and also i would say i just kind of get sick of the trope of uh, like church versus medicine always eternal opposition etc yeah so those are those are basically i'm kind of like knocking off like a half point for each of those things
1: Okay, that's fair. This is and, that's actually, actually higher than I was expecting you to give it.
0: Yeah, and I don't know the the uh, like I was actually I was sort of in between a four and a three point five uh, and thought a three point seven five was obnoxious. I will say the other thing that I will note is I think Saifa is a great character. Yes.
1: However,
0: I will also note uh, this film, although it does pass the Ift Decker test, undoubtedly. Does not pass the Bechdel test, I don't think, because I am not sure sifa's ever met another woman.
1: I will Oh, it actually
0: does. It does because of Lisa and the old woman.
1: Yeah. And uh season right. three okay. season three will pass the the Bechdel test with flying colors because we get to see the rest of Carmilla's all-female cabal.
0: Looking forward to that. Yeah. So now yeah. So now, as I said, that would be a critique I have is that I think there are some great women character like I think Carmilla is also an excellent woman villain I think Saif is excellent as a woman hero but that both of them are sort of like isolated from other women for uh the show for you know what we've seen so far at least yeah yeah so yeah so I don't know I'll, I'll probably stick with a four I, I think I'll probably stick with a four I'm kind of tempted to knock it down a little bit but then it's going back up because I had such a good time reading about penis about penis spells
1: Fair, fair. <laughs>
0: And I'm also Uh, happy that, okay, it's very also, like, bloody, violent, dark, etc. But there are at least um, moments of levity. And I spend so much time watching things that are so fucking depressing with, like, not a single joke or moment where you kind of get the sense that, like, anybody doesn't just constantly want to die. So it's getting actually, so it's getting some points for that, for the fact that there are, like, jokes in it.
1: Yeah. I need a joke. I think the moment where I laughed the hardest was the obviously convoluted explanation for why there is a man named Trevor Belmont in right. Malachia. um <laughs> But no, there's, not, there's other good jokes. Trevor and Alucard constantly, like, sit, like, telling each other to fuck off, but in increasingly, like, you know, friendly ways. Uh-huh. As, as Trevor and Sypha set off on their adventure, like, like, Trevor just, like, gives out like waves goodbye to Alucard and Alucard flips in the bird with a huge grin on his face. It's right. Amazing. Yeah. No, it's, it's wonderful. great.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no. So it was it was a fun watch. So as I said, it's uh it's I, I have I have my critiques, but I'm I'm going to settle on giving it a four on the grounds that uh subjectively in part uh, that this was probably the highlight of my very, very exhausting week.
1: Fair. I, yeah, I think, I think I'm also going to go with a four. I was, I, I like, I don't love the fridging. I really don't. But I ha- I have like nostalgia and affection for this series on top of mm-hmm. it all. Ri- on top of it being like, you know, good. Um, like it's, it's, it's nice to see something that's set like, east of germany for a change
0: yes yeah i'm also kind of giving it points for that too and like i'm just so sick of everything being about england so like i feel like honestly at this point i'm like props to anything that's not set in england or france honestly
1: yeah like there's a youtuber who goes by the name blue who who i think said it best it's like almost all fantasy literature like is set somewhere within a 500 mile radius of london yes and so so annoying so that's so that's the isles uh france germany a bit of scandinavia
0: yeah and honestly like you barely even get germany you barely even get spain like you barely even get italy like it's just so i'm I'm very sick of it
1: yeah it's like england's not that
0: important to everybody
1: (laughs) he he, yeah he was like he was like the witcher gets gets praised for being like so unique and exotic but it's just Poland and if Poland if Poland is your exotic you need to like expand your horizons buddy
0: it's kind of like the guy in um Great British Bake Off there is this like elderly gentleman who kept being critiqued right for being like too safe and too like Stayed and sort of like making very like standard Mm -hmm. white British cuisine. And then he like makes something and he's like, this has pesto. That's exotic. Oh no. (laughs)
1: Oh no. (laughs) Ouch. I think I just injured myself.
0: (laughs) So yeah, it's kind of like that. Just like anybody making a movie about anything that's like non English Europe.
1: Ow. I'm going to need to, like, ha- a minute to recover from that. Ow. <laughs> My parents cook with pesto. It's not exotic. No. No.
0: I mean, you know, and I'm, I'm not surprised by that and that I also have absolutely lived in places where, like, iPads for exotic based on the fact that I'm, like, not entirely Anglo-Germanic. So,
1: you mm. know. Yeah. Whereas
0: in most other places I have lived, Jews don't count as exotic.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> so yeah, the the differences in living uh, in uh, moving from Connecticut to Indiana. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, I'm exotic. I'm I'm also gonna get some moments of slightly being exotic in Memphis, but it's not as bad as in Indiana.
1: I'm too white to be exotic for anywhere.
0: <laughs> <laughs> On that note. Probably time to finish up since we've been uh, going for about two and a half hours and I still have work to do because I always have work to do. It, Ouch. This month is rough. This month is rough, everybody. So with that, Elizabeth, where can our listeners find you on the internet?
1: Well, I've, I've got a tweeter. I, I, I tweet sometimes on the tweeter. I'm at Lizzie Strider on Twitter more notably and probably more topically I have a tumblr I am shadow academic on tumblr and I am more active there than I am on twitter and sometimes I will even post something that is relevant
0: um, to
1: to the things that may interest the people who listen to this show Uh, fantastic so I have brought other projects that are kind of nebulously in the works but i Think I will hold off on saying more about those until they exist. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's where I am just about. Yeah.
0: And you'll be back, so hopefully, things to plug in the future. I shall, yes,
1: soon. I hope, so,
0: yes. So, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in your preferred podcatcher app and rate and review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcatcher. I'll read new five-star reviews in future episodes. Please also follow the podcast on Twitter at Media Evil Pod and join our Facebook group. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah F. Decker. If you have any questions or suggestions, I'd love to hear from you via email at media.evilpod at gmail.com. So, Elizabeth, thank you again.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's, it's good to be
0: here. And thank you all for listening to Media Evil. Goodbye and Happy Halloween.
1: Happy Halloween. This is your war council, my lord. All right.